You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beep Podcast Network. Harvey? Wrong, Batman. I'm not Harvey. I am evil incarnate. I am Two-Face. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley-Shergy, and we are looking at uh, wrapping up our look at Adam West. Batman features with this uh, second of his two animated features, Batman versus Two Face from 2017. Sadly, Adam West would pass before this got released, although his stuff was recorded in late 2016. Um, with me is Thrasher. Riddle me this: Why are we like Two Face's henchmen? Answer: Because we're all doing his bidding. And Alex. Oh, a yoga mat, Batman. It's a guy with two faces. I mean, Two-Face. It's Two-Face. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Two-Face was a character who was considered for the Batman 66 series, but was considered too grotesque that they couldn't use him. And um, and well, I have read the rejected script by Harlan Ellison that would have introduced Two-Face. It is a delightful story. And they made it into a comic, didn't they? Yes, there is a uh, there is a the 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 crazy two way crimes of Two Face. Uh, yeah, they they take the script, they turn it into a comic, but then I believe they have the script and a bunch of like weird production notes in the back. Oh, what a world we could have lived in if if that had uh, been made. I wonder who they would have considered for Two Face at the time. I don't know. Although they they make him look like Shatner in the comic. So hmm. I don't know if Shatner was considered or if it was just agreed upon at this time that 66 Two-Face would have been Shatner. Huh. Right. So with this, you see Two-Face uh, on the cover and uh, you have um, Harley Quinn in here. You have a lot of characters, including a lot of King Tut for whatever reason. Because Victor Buno's voice is fun to impersonate. Uh, true, true, fair enough. And so I think this one, while the story uh, in last week's uh, movie, Batman Return of the Cape Crusader, is too busy, this one, Batman versus Two-Face, it is, I think it has, has a better plot, although at the time I didn't think so. I think, you know, maybe the first time I was bowled over by the novelty of Return of the Cape Crusaders. But this one, I think, is a better, more um, coherent story. And... Shatner as Two-Face, I'm not entirely sure if it works. I think his Harvey Dent is very good. I like the arrogance, but his Two-Face voice, I don't think is quite as, um, or even that characterization is quite as mean as I would want. It's it's not as, it's not as, as much of a change. Like, I just, I wish, I, I think what it probably should be is Harvey Dent should be arrogant Shatner and Two-Face should be asshole Shatner. Mm. But I think Shatner's in an age, like, strangely enough, I think Shatner's aging backwards. I think at Shatner's current <laughs> age, he does not want to be perceived as an asshole, whereas most people, when they get to his age, would just stop caring about how people perceive him. Yeah, and in fact, I think people not caring as much as one, one thing I admire of um, older people. And I mean, it's not that they don't you know, they do care, but they don't care. But it's sort of, the, it's less about putting on appearances, ultimately. So, um, Alex, did you have any initial thoughts? Yeah, this is definitely, it feels like an extension of um, Return of the Cape Crusaders. But I think this is like, I feel like it's like a little bit more lean. and I feel like it's like marginally less silly, not by much, mind you. But, um, 
I think the story is a bit more streamlined, which I appreciated here. Um, and it was it was funny because at first I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like Bill Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked I'm it up in dis- course. I'm going to disagree with you. I think there's too much. I think there's too much plot in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't I think much, that. I mean, okay, yeah. It's 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 a it's streamlined too much plot, but it's still too much plot. Yeah, they, it is a lot, but they did at least they streamlined it a little bit. They still feel the need to. Uh, ugh, excuse me. Ugh. Oof, that's exciting for listeners. Listen to me yawn. Um, <laughs> from the crazy stuff. I, we have a new puppy at, uh, named Saru, so he's um, keeping us busy, but uh, weighing a whopping three pounds. Uh, Multipoo. But anyhow, um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, this has too many... I don't know, I think the storyline is streamlined, but it, they feel the need for too many characters. Again. Y- and, yeah, like, since we've got a strong villain in the form of Two-Face, we don't need the rest of the rogues gallery outside of some fun cameos, but they are heavily involved in this. Right. That's, I think, one of the big flaws here, because, I mean, again, the name of the damn movie is Batman versus Two-Face, right? Yes. Not Batman versus Two-Face and the gang. Um, (laughs) And I think if, like, you, again, you keep, like, one of them, keep Catwoman, because they've established a pretty heavy thread from the last film, that's that's okay. But you don't need Penguin and, you know, the rest of the gang, Um, to the point where it looks like a PBS telethon. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think if they just kind of emphasize the the two face part more and uh, you know prune the rest of it, it would feel a lot more coherent. Well, speaking of which, something I think is 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 a misstep here is is giving Two Face an origin story for a number of reasons. One, I don't think the audience needs any explanation who Two Face is at this right. point. Two-Face is very well established. I don't think anyone would bat an eye if you just opened this movie with Two-Face robbing a bank and let it go at that. But two, Batman 66 very deliberately didn't do origin stories. Um, I've been re-watching the series and I'm at the end of the, uh, I've got up to the end of the second season and only twice has a villain's origin story been mentioned? And it's and in both instances, it's tossed off with one line of dialogue. Right. Mr. Freeze was a scientist who was in a lab accident and his body temperature was permanently lowered. And King Tut was a professor of Egyptology who got hit in the head by a brick at a peace rally, which is a hilarious joke in addition <laughs> to being a tragic origin story. But here, not only do we get the origin story, it is so needlessly complicated involving an evil extraction machine right. and getting stuck in it. And and not only does he become Two-Face, but then he's immediately cured of being Two-Face in a really flaccid fake out. Yeah. Just so we can see him become Two-Face again. It's like we I, needed to have him cured so the movie didn't get too action packed. It's like they it's not we get more than an origin story. We get like two of them, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought like I fucked something up. Like, I was like, did I start it in the middle or something? Mm-hmm. I was like, did I watch 20 minutes and then hit, like, fast forward or rewind or something like that? Um, because I was really, I, I was honestly kind of confused because I was like, okay, wait, so he's good. So we fixed Two-Face and he's Two-Face again. Then he's, like, full-face for a little while at the end. Mm. It felt a little jumbled there. And yet again, just like in the last film, uh, Return of the Caped Crusaders, you have a story about someone being able to turn the good guys evil. I wonder why they felt the need to hit that note again. Mm. 
Oh, and although something that I think was very fun. So, you know, we talked about how they, in the previous film and in this film, they get Julie Newmar back as Catwoman. But in this film, they also get the other Catwoman, Lee Merriweather, back as uh, Lucille Diamond, who has a whole subplot that involves her disguising herself as Catwoman. So we get what I would have loved to have seen in the previous film. We get multiple classic Catwoman women playing off of each other. And that's something I love in, in a genre that is so much about masks and secret identities. I love seeing people adopt another established identity. And it's fun. It is fun seeing Lee Merriweather uh, and Julie Newmore, both in the same movie doing their thing and getting really sort of sexy and flirty with it. Yeah, that was a good bit of business that we, I think hinted at last episode. Yeah. And we finally got it teased rather, but yeah, the, um, the 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 two face stuff is, is is just kind of weird and I think um I I feel like the energy is the same but it's uh I think it's just a little misspent in the wrong directions because like if you're signing up if you're watching this if you signed up for Batman versus Two Face you know who Two Face is you're yeah. aware of Harvey Dent you don't need it you don't need it revised or anything like that like it's batman everyone is the way they are because that's what the movie says they are <laughs> bing bang boom done and you get a bit of um i think the same problem you had in the movie batman forever with tommy lee jones's two-face and that when they kind of let loose it feels like they're trying to imitate the joker or although here it's a bit more reined in and given that it's Batman 66, you wish uh, Shatner would have um, been directed to have a bit more fun with it. When when he's kind of the, the, the bad side of Two-Face, it just feels sort of perfunctory. He does get a bit more growly, but it's never quite what, um, at least what I was wanting from it. Yeah, there's a weird villain thing that goes on, because like, you have Joker, who's like such a, has such like a high profile... And everything like that. And then it kind of dwarves the personas of other villains sometimes. Like Penguin's a very specific thing. Um, Joker's a very specific thing. And then I feel like Two-Face, some like a Two-Face gets a little lost. Like they're either gravelly, growly, or cackly and crazy. And I prefer a gravelly, growly Two-Face, which on the on the one hand, I... I I would like to have seen Shatner play it more like that. But on the other hand, Shatner being joyfully evil and camp probably would have fit the tone of this a lot better. Yeah. It's um, I feel like as the, the Harvey Dent character is like, I feel like one of the villains that's closest aligned to Batman. So like that makes his arc even more tragic, you know, is that you have like this guy truly believes in justice, you know, and then he becomes torn. It's very, you know, very tragic, very Machiavellian, you know. And they could have also played with that, you know, how, like, you know, Batman's view of justice versus Harvey Dent's view of justice. Because in a sense, they do both represent two sides of justice, whereas you have, like, the courts, the laboratories in which justice is tested. But then you have Batman's vigilantism, which is a form of justice that is outside the law, and for yeah. very good reason. Exactly. It, it, you know what? It's one of the few uh, stories where if the villain had said, you know, you, we are the same, you and I, I would have actually believed it in this one. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because, again, they're so aligned in so many ways. But 
diametrically opposed in others. <laughs> Although it does, every now and then it does have a you know a little bit a little bit of brilliance. Like I love that whole thing where where they're doing that whole big charity gala for underprivileged twins. <laughs> like that's a real thinker of a gag, and I I appreciate that. Yeah, I know, right? There's just a high twin birth rate in Gotham City. Yeah. Or like or the fight at the abandoned sign factory. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> what is that? I love it. <laughs> I, what did you think of sort of you have a a bit of business going on with the um bad guys on kind of like a, a game show set? I thought that was fun. That that's fun, but like and, and you could totally do a game show heist at like that like Villains take over a game show could have been the plot of a 66 episode, especially with all the weird things happening with game shows in the 60s. Oh, the corruption. Uh, yeah. Right. Oh, God. Could you could you could you imagine uh, <laughs> the movie quiz show? But it's the Riddler. Wow. <laughs> I'd rather see that movie. Yeah. Warner that's... Brothers. I am available. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We've said it once. We say it again. <laughs> yes. Are available. It is a. Uh quite something and um i think the turn you get in this film where robin gets the gas and it, it fights against batman and it's kind of a pissy robin i it was kind of uh i think i kind of enjoyed more than the bad batman in the last film it it's cute because you would you would never expect robin to go evil yeah right, but then you could see why robin has a lot of anger in him both from you know losing oh, his yeah. parents but also being bossed around by batman so much it's kind of a surprise Robin doesn't just lose it more often without the right. help of the, the gas. And there's also that, like, you know, he's always going to be playing second fiddle, you know? He's always, yes. uh, always in the shadow of the bat. You yep. know, and that's actually kind of funny. I'm surprised they didn't use that as an excuse to have to have this Robin turn into a 1960s Nightwing. <laughs> oh, I wonder what that would look like. That's a missed gee, opportunity. That'd be almost like a... You could do it like a disco costume with the shimmering. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, like not stealthy at all. <laughs> a real, right. a real mod Nightwing. Mod oh, yeah. Nightwing, and then they, you know, the cops would do the flashlights on him, and they'd be blinded because his uh, <laughs> his sheer the reflection off the material would, would be so strong. Yeah, the sequence <laughs> blind. Both the cops and the bad guys, whatever they, yeah. That's... His theme could be blinded by the light. Oh, sure. The light I'm referring to in which was so blinding. Yes, could be all sorts oh, you of know... uh, potential. Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise while the open version delivers natural, high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RBG configurations. Just good design. Listeners can save 15% by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIENDS15 at checkout. In today's age, you need a podcast you can trust. That's why you need Hair of the Dogcast. Entertaining and well-informed discussions on both video games and beer. 
meet our local podcast team, Dylan. I'm out here on the street, Brad, and everyone's clamoring for better podcasts. Our new rookie correspondent, Tyler. I play The Witcher. And I'm Brad, <laughs> and I'm slowly learning to hate myself in video games. <laughs> and Dylan's reporting to us live from Kingdom Hearts 3. There's a lot of Frozen here. <laughs> Too much Frozen. Hair of the Dogcast is a podcast you can trust. On your favorite podcast app every Wednesday, or whenever I decide to post it. Only on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. You know what just, just occurred to me? In this movie, the villains find out that Robin is Dick Grayson. Then that like never really comes up again, other than <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna sell out Batman. Like you can p- bribe him to reveal their identity. Like that should stick. That makes it impossible for either of them to be vigilantes. Because I realize it's the it's not it's Batman sixty six, and no one's supposed to truly be clever enough to figure it out. But at that point, well, maybe the billionaire who lives with Robin is the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Like that, that, that's one of those, unless of course, maybe they were planning a third one and that's what the third one was going to be. I, then, I thought, yeah. I, I thought it would have been funny if they said like, it's Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. And then someone goes like Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And then go for bat, Robin just goes like, who? <laughs> and Dick Grayson also, I don't think is anyone of note, unlike uh, Bruce Wayne. Well, I guess he's Gotham city's most famous ward. <laughs> yes. It's a very mm-hmm. common thing these days. And, and actually, they lose touch with this, but in uh, in Batman 66, Robin is taking... Co- he is still high school age, but he's taking college courses because he's a gifted student. And so, like, he's... It is established in a couple of early episodes that he's a popular kid on the campus of Gotham City University. But they sort of drop that about halfway through the first season. Interesting. Yeah, you can't make Robin cooler than Batman. <laughs> Maybe it's that sort of line of thinking. But you have... Um, I mean, do you think that the use of the evil gas in the plot here is trying to reference the 89 Batman film? I don't... Well, maybe maybe a little, except so many villains in the 60s used gas for things. Yeah, I really feel like the gas in, in the 80s movie is more of a reference to this. Yeah, but, probably it's just very common, recognizable, and inexpensive uh, effect. Fair enough. You could always cut to close-ups of gas and just use it over and over again, Sailor Moon <laughs> oh, yeah. style stock footage. Um, and you had you had brought up a good point last uh, time, Thrasher, about how you felt it didn't really take advantage of that it was animated very much do you think that's the case in this one honestly yes and there's a couple of moments where it's a bit too busy like when we first see Mm -hmm. the um the evil extraction machine and its whole process in that dingy laboratory under the prison there so the previous you know movie everything was kind of big bold cover colors and the occasional sort of like gradient but in here, they try to put like a weird splatter and rust texture on everything, and it's just distracting. Yeah, it is. It's it's distracting and just doesn't really look good. I that was kind of my feel reaction to it. Yeah, it, it muddies things in 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 a way that I think Batman sixty six should not be muddy. Right. It's a <clears throat> tonal misstep. I feel like. I tried to look up to see if they ever had plans for a third one, and I couldn't find anything. I 
feel like they had to have because sure. these these were these were pretty these were pretty popular. They did have yep. uh, I believe Fathom Events did uh, releases of these in the theaters. Yeah, you know, I know maybe one night only or something, but I definitely recall commercials for that in the theater. These about this one and the last one, Return of the Cape Crusader, they came out within a year of each other. Adam um, West passed, I think, in in May or something, and uh, from uh, leukemia, sadly. And uh, however, they added a, a postscript on here dedicated to Adam West, which I think was nice to see. I wasn't oh, necessarily yeah. expecting that. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's 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 well remembered and for and for good reason. I feel like I feel like there had to have been plans for a third because everybody wants that trilogy. Although at that point, I feel like the only thing you could do is do a movie that's all about modern villains recontextualized. Like, I feel like the next movie would have to have been either the Batman versus Harley Quinn movie or like Batman versus Bane. And you get Maurice LaMarche to do Orson Welles as Bane. Nice. Yes, Batman. I'm going to break you. I mean, yeah, if you did that. Yes, yes. That whole uh, Nightfall story, uh, but to do it short, that uh, you'd run into the same problems they did when doing the cartoon of a uh, Death and Return of Superman. Do it short and do it silly if you're going to do that. Yeah, or maybe Batman gets his back broken and then Alfred gives him an aspirin and he feels better. <laughs> no, <laughs> Batsprin. Uh, bat, yeah, Batsprin. Right? Give me an injection of bat spine repairer, Alfred. Don't worry, Robin. This Batsprin is made from synthetic batween extract. No bats were harmed in the making of this pill. Don't tell Master Wayne, it's just a little bit of morphine that I put some gray powder in. You know, what I'm thinking is, if, if you were to do more modern villains in this context, I would love them to do man-bat, but you deliberately <laughs> animate them to look like an actor in a costume from the 60s with, like, Planet of the Apes makeup, but some mm-hmm. bat style. Oh, that'd be great. Each step he takes the wings bob slightly. Yeah, that would be hilarious. His posture gets increasingly worse as the episode goes on. (laughs) Well, although, although, what celebrity would you get to play Man Bat? Oh, uh, Christopher Walken, Wallace Shawn. Well, it has to be somebody who was like active in the '60s, though. I like Slim Pickens. I like that idea. Yeah, I'll Batman. You're a bat man, I'm a man bat. Um, <laughs> we are the same, you and I. Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Come on, oh. Oh. Ernest, actually, Ernest Borgnine. Oh, he would be great. Wasn't he, like this. Was he in something? I feel like, I don't know. Oh, no, he was in From Here to Eternity. He was an established star at that point. Oh, no, totally. But didn't he do like a 60s television show where I feel like he must have played a, like, I don't know why I'm penciling this in in my brain. Um, I feel like he played like a television villain. I can't remember. Well, he he was in Airwolf in the late seventies. Oh, okay, 80s. that's probably what I'm thinking of. Mm. There's a well, nice. Like... Yeah, go on. Oh, I uh, you know. Actually, you know what else I was thinking? Someone who was who was big in the sixties. You could do do Jonathan Winters as Batmite. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, all very interesting ideas. I um, I mean, anytime I see Two Face, I sort of think of the the rumors that um had tim burton done batman forever it would have had um tommy billy lee, no billy, excuse me billy d williams as two-face and robin williams as the riddler 
There, I would that, that I can see that for sure. That that would have been a team up for the ages. I think so. And then the rumor is they only offered it to Robin Williams just to get Jim Carrey interested, who they wanted in the first place. Oh, oh I don't think Jim Carrey was that interested. And they're like, "Well, Robin Williams is going to do it." That that's sort of the opposite of Schwarzenegger pretending he wanted to do Cobra <laughs> to trick Sylvester Stallone into doing Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Cobra. It was Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, I remember that movie. Hey, Which hey, is Estelle Getty. She's a I treasure. Think, I think Schwarzenegger even called Stallone going, oh, this is a great script. I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, I mean, he, but Scooped he, you did, again. he did mind game stuff back in his weightlifting days. He did. Um, there's some move where you hold something with your wrist in a certain way that he published in his book. That was meant just to increase people's likeliness for injury. Jesus. So he would remain on top. But yeah, he's um, very, uh, you know, despite how he looks and what his characters he plays are, he's always, you know, thinking of a gazillion plans at once. <laughs> so play wheels within wheels. But yeah, I mean, Batman versus Two-Face. I, I expected so much from this with Shatner in the lead. I do like the storyline while still a bit too many characters and a bit too much going on i think it's better than the first one and i think just to see two-face interact with batman 66 i think i'll give this a weak sequel yes i i'm gonna give this a sequel no it is a it's an overall fun premise but and when shatner's good in this he's actually great and getting to cat women is a is a treat but I can't really recommend really sitting down and watching this unless you're you're a completionist. It's just it's it has enough flaws to hold it back and prevent it from being a sequel. Yes, for me. So it, it is it is unsat, very regrettably a sequel. No, because I hate that that is how this run of Batman's going to go out for me. Yeah, it's um. Well, I wanted to like. And I think it started. It starts out all right. Um, and the tone is. I think. It's totally consistent with the last film, but I think it just kind of loses itself, um, I think, after the first act. Um, so I'll say, like, a very a minor sequel, no. I mean, it's still a likable romp. But um, I just couldn't hang on to it. It just didn't... Nothing really grabbed me. I think once, like, the Two-Face stuff gets buggered, I lost track. I, lost, I really kind of lost track of the film. It really got... It started to slip through my hands at that point. So a sequel, no, with some enthusiastic uh with some enthusiasm behind a few of the film's virtues indeed and um you know maybe we'll see more batman 66 stuff um i don't know i think ralph garman does a pretty good adam west but um that they haven't done one i I think in a way you know is 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 more respectful and, and, and um perhaps the better move yeah, it, it might be, regrettably, it might be one of those things that's just not going to get touched until until Burt Ward passes, which hopefully won't be for oh, a, a good long while. Right. Burt Ward I, I could see that. is still a delight. But yeah, it does feel, it, 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 it would feel very weird to have another one of these with Burt Ward, but someone else as, as Batman. The only way I could see that working is if you really like flip the script and did it as if Batman himself was recast. So you just find like a somebody ev- evoking a different campy 60s actor. 
Well, and I would not want to see an animated feature that's just Robin being sad that Batman is dead. <laughs> like, well, you know what you do? Just do 66 Nightwing. That might be fun. Yeah. I'd like, you know, like, you know, it would be fun to see Ro- this Robin navigate fighting crime as a solo hero. Good point. And you make Bloodhaven kind of like hate Ashbury in the 60s. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Those are all interesting ideas. Um, Robin grows like a Dennis Hopper beard, starts taking acid. <laughs> right. I used to fight crime, man. <laughs> What you don't understand, right, is that Batman, he's, you know, he's he's not like an oracle. He's like a god, man. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't talk, man. You listen to him. <laughs> so on to what you're watching. I saw a movie in the theater that I won't get too specific about, but um, I think one of the trailers convinced me to see it, and I kind of wish I hadn't. Oh, it no. Is the, it is The Flash. Ah. And it... Man, <laughs> had they made it like a surprise that Michael Keaton reprises his role as Batman in the movie. I think that would have been better, but so much of it is more of a comedy than I was expecting. And then at the end, it just gets so busy with references. It's, it's like borderline insulting. (laughs) I I have not seen this movie, but I am already exhausted with this movie. A friend, a friend of of mine saw it and, and his, his, his capsule review was it's not terrible. But it's not worth the wait, and it's not worth the hype. It's a very skippable movie. Yeah, yeah and I, I think had it come out originally when it was supposed to, I mean, they pushed it by a few years, it would have beat some of these other multiverse movies to the punch. And so now that doesn't seem like such a unique idea that, oh, it, it's uh, this version of Batman and this character from Man of Steel and this and that. See. You know what cracks me up is that like there's all this like multiverse, interverse, dippyverse shit, and like it's like oh man, Michael Keaton's in it. Oh my god! It's like don't you see this is absolutely no different than what we are talking about today with having Julie Newmar <laughs> and uh, Lee Merriweather. <laughs> yes, yes. You know what I mean? It's like it's not that novel. It really never has been. Um, yeah. And it's just an excuse to pack actors in, to pack audiences in, to you know make the movie the- profitable. And the thing is, if you're going to do that, go all the way and get obscure with it. Have Shaquille O'Neal come back as Steel and really make Steel badass. They have some obscure stuff in it near the end, but yeah, you're right. You should be get weird with it. Um, I do like that um, Michael Shannon had a comment that he felt like multiverse movies are like kids playing with action figures. Well, the and, thing is, at, at think, their yeah, best, right. they are, because that's yeah. a really fun exercise of the imagination when you have the exuberance of youth. Uh, so, like, when you can capture that fun, and I think the Lego movie captured that, and I think Spider-Verse captured that. In a, Of course, Spider-Verse had, still had a lot more depth to it. But at least, at least the sense I get from what DC's doing, it really just feels like an, an, an excuse, yeah, to load it with marketable characters. It, for, it yeah. serves no narrative function. It's marketing. When, like you said, um, like you said, Thrasher, like just hearing about it is kind of enough to wear you out. And that's kind of how I felt like I first heard somebody telling me about it. And they're like, and this and that and the miniverse, multiverse, interverse. And I'm like, oh, all right, I'm done. Check yeah. me out. And and I'm you know, speaking to somebody who has a lot of experience reading multiverse fiction. 
and I'm not just talking about comics. I'm talking about really heady science fiction and things like that. Um, uh, it, opens, it opens the door to a lot of really awful storytelling. And I think between DC and Marvel and their, their film and television output, I think we are about to be hit by that wave of horrible storytelling facilitated by a multiverse. Oh, so, yeah, I see I, that coming in. Yeah. And as somebody who's already had my heart broken too many times before, I am ready to check out. Like, yeah. the, mo- the moment I see that on the horizon, I will be gone and on the high ground while the rest of you are drowning. <laughs> Not <laughs> well, I think, like, asshole, but... aren't we all, like, haven't we been talking about, like, you know, superhero fatigue for a while now? True, like, although I think, I, I think... I, I honestly don't think that's a thing because they're still making bank. I, I think it's just for those of us who are very well versed in the genre, like we we want more. Like, I, and I think that's why the, the first uh, Spider Verse film was such a breath of fresh air because they took all those elements and told a real character driven story about people and about relationships that used the multiverse concept to bring real depth to it. But I feel like no one else is trying to use that to bring any depth to these stories. It's just now just taken as a, if, as as granted. Well, yeah, you're superheroes. You're going to have a multiverse. So just put that in there somewhere. Yeah. Right. It's, um, you know, at the beginning, I thought, oh, this is better than I thought it was going to be. And at the end, and then the more I thought about it, the more I didn't like it. And it, it didn't really help. Um, we might have brought this up before, but. James Gunn, he sort of made his announcement as the new head of uh, DC movies, basically saying like, well, my stuff isn't going to start till 2025, sort of implying that, or I mean, I guess he has like a cartoon or something starting in 2024, but he's sort of implying like all this next stuff doesn't count. And I wonder if that had any effect on uh, people going to see these movies. Well, it is weird because, yeah, they have made such a big deal about him being the new head of all this, but then they still have multiple releases from the old guard coming out. And I was actually talking to my brother about this because I, I I love James Gunn. I have been following his career since the mid nineties when he started it as trauma. He's a delightful filmmaker and still is kind of an anti-authoritarian rascal, despite the fact that he is now the authority. And part of me can't help feeling because Warner brothers knows so many of these movies from the old guard are still coming out. Have they just set him up to take the fall so they can fire him if these old guard movies tank and then start from scratch yet again with a real clean slate? Right. Is studio, is he going to be another victim of studio politics? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if you can completely avoid the studio politics, but. He's done a pretty good job navigating thus far. Mm -hmm. I would hope that I I would like to think that he's knows his way around that he will not succumb to it. But who who knows? Who really knows? Yep. And I do. I just don't like it when they say, oh, we have a 10 year plan because I, I think one, that's kind of arrogant. And two, what if the public doesn't respond to one of these things you're going to do? Are you going to it sort of ruins all the um, dominoes you have set up? Yeah. And that's the audiences are unpredictable. They like like the next Superman movie could be the best Superman movie we've had in 30 years. It could be the best Superman movie ever, but if the audience doesn't glom onto it, it's still going to be remembered as a bomb and that failure will still echo throughout all their other film projects. 
Oh, and like the, the Zack Snyder, um, or I guess the Joss Whedon was the first version, right, of Justice League. That was meant to be like two or three movies, and they just did it as one. And you have kind of like an ending that's not that satisfying at the end, no matter what version uh, of it you watch. So, but that's um, a whole lot of superheroes. Uh, let's um, see. Uh, Thrasher, what have you been watching? Uh, so I, I am getting caught up with the new episodes of MST3K, which were originally released on the Gizmoplex, but are now starting to show up on other streaming services. And this was on Tubi. And I wasn't going to, planning on talking about mst3k again except this episode left such a weird taste in my mouth so so they they uh the episode is the bubble uh and the bubble is a movie written by arch obler who is one of my favorite Ah. radio writers he did lights out and a number of other radio shows and he does his radio work is mind-bending and terrifying yeah, he did a uh, Drop Dead, which is a great album. Oh yeah, yeah, and, Drop Dead's awesome. And unfortunately, some of his stuff is so heady it doesn't translate very well to film. And unfortunately, this movie does prove that. Like, if this same story was done as a half-hour radio show, you would be shitting your pants in terror. But as a hour and a half long movie with limited production budget it kind of falls kind of flat. The first half has some amazing strangeness and is very effective. But the second half of the movie, it kind of unravels because you reach the limit of what they can do and they've run out of strangeness. And now they have to start explaining things. Uh. But the reason it left a weird taste in my mouth, I've already talked about how I don't like the new theme song that feels the need to explain how streaming services work, <laughs> um, which sadly is still here. But they, they, this one, Joel is back uh, as the host and the riffing is some of the best they've ever done. Ooh, the, host, oh, the host segments for this episode, absolutely phoned in. You can mm. tell Joel doesn't want to do host segments. Um, but what's so weird is it has a meta narrative about Joel and Jonah and uh, the new woman host they introduced trying to plan like an escape that I guess happens in the Christmas dragon episode, which I think was the season finale, um, which I haven't gotten to yet, but it's so, it's so weird to see this show with a meta narrative. Cause yeah, like, I can't not, picture it them servicing that meta narrative is not funny at all. And they try to make it interesting by having, and I'm not sure what the justification for this is, but when they talk about the escape plan, they only speak in rhyme because that somehow allows them, I guess, to keep it secret. I'm not sure why, but the rhymes are tortured, but not in a funny, we've come up with a clever, bad rhyme sort of way. Yeah, but but what but what does it? And again, this is some of the best riffing they've ever done. They shoot themselves in the foot because in the opening host segment, they state this movie is worse than Manos. No, it is not. (laughs) I have seen Manos without anyone talking over it. It is almost nothing is worse than Manos. And I I say that as somebody who respects Manos as a piece of outsider art. It's still terrible. (laughs) But but most people who are watching this have probably seen them do Manos and know firsthand what you're talking about. This film fails to live down to that. And as a result, it kind of taints the humor all the way through. 
Do you think it's something they threw in there just as kind of a bait line to get headlines I, or news coverage or like they're I doing s- a movie that's worse than Manos? I suppose they could have, but you know, in, in older episodes, they have made reference to this movie is worse than this movie we've already done. And usually they're right. Mm. But this one, they are so off. And and it's and it is it is and because that's one of the smart things about MST3K that I found out later. They had a rule that you're only allowed to make one joke about the movie being bad. And that's a very good rule to have because just stating the movie's bad isn't funny. Also, like I think some of what makes MST3K great is that they do like what quote bad movies, but they do like good bad movies like because there's like a there's a savviness to i think the original run where they do things like you know danger diabolic which is like a great mario baba film but like it's very elevated campy weird and you know easy to bust jokes on you know oh yeah you kind of have to like like it a little bit to rip on it you know well yeah like they're they're always at least interesting so between the jokes you still have something to to look at and that's the other thing is even their worst movies, and again, this and I include Manos, The Hands of Fate in this, the movies have the courage of their convictions. Right. Uh, and and that helps. Like, But then you see when they did Atlantic Rim, that movie doesn't have any convictions and it doesn't have any courage. That's why that was a terrible movie for them to do, and that's why that's one of their weakest episodes. Right. So it's it is it is so weird because on the one hand I love living in a world where I can still get new mystery science theater three thousands, but the show's kind of reached a critical mass. It's not so much that it's showing its age; it's showing its own media footprint, and I think that's really starting to hurt the show. Yeah, it's too bad. So uh, Alex, what have you been watching? What have I have I been watching? What have I? <laughs> <laughs> been watching. Um, I watched, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Hong Kong cinema, of action films from Hong Kong in the 90s and 80s and what have you. One I hadn't seen by Ringo Lam uh, called Undeclared War. Mm. And this is so fascinating because it really does show the possibilities of an international cinema. So it's like a CIA globetrotting terrorist plot action buddy cop amalgamation right and it stars danny lee from the many movies danny lee's in namely you know the john woo films like the killer and hard-boiled and everything like that it's like olivia hussey who we've covered uh from the psycho from psycho 4 it's got vernon wells who was in mad max the road warrior he's the mohawk dude um as like the heavy and it's just like this very kind of convoluted you know revenge-o-matic you know, terrorist plot, uh, very much uh, like a lot of Hong Kong films from the time, very much um, occupied with the handover to mainland China. But it's also just a fucking rocking action film. Lots of fucking shootouts and shit blowing up and people hanging off of helicopters. Um, and it's it's a fascinating, fun, really, really out there film. Very ambitious. And I think for the most part, it realizes those ambitions. Um, really far up film. I think you both would appreciate it. Um, enjoying genre films especially genre hybrids like this and this is really out there movie um yeah it's called undeclared war nice and and 
is it um, released by a special label or uh the vinegar syndrome blu-ray just dropped ah, okay sure. um and it's uh the, the it's as beautiful as i think the movie's gonna look but uh, i'm sure it's streaming somewhere as well but yeah no i definitely recommend it it's a really wild film thanks i'll have to check that one out um so we have a, a sequel scene thrasher um Ah, yes. Uh, This is, excuse me, Uh, very much. This is uh, about about the mid the midpoint of the movie. I believe this is before the uh, the charity auction for underprivileged twins where (laughs) it's uh, it's uh, Bruce Wayne and Alfred having a wee bit of a conversation about the night's activities. And it is just Batman and Alfred. uh, Uh, Who wants to play what part? Hmm. I wouldn't mind being Alfred. Okay, uh, Thrasher, do you want to try Batman? Yeah, I'll do Batman. Okay, go. I'm supposed to see Catwoman tonight, but I can't lose focus. A man's good name is at stake. Ah, friends before females, eh, sir? Indeed, Alfred. So it's a polite way of bros before hoes. Yes. It's a very sick walk way of saying bros before hoes. Oh, yes, yes. Very good. Very good. Very I'm cool. Michael York. Okay. So what are we doing <laughs> next time on Sequel Cast? Well, I think I picked this one, so I think I'm out of the round for picking this time. Yes. I think it's Michael York's turn. Okay, Michael York, what are we doing? Well, I am torn between two camps. I was thinking we could do the Mission Impossible films, because there's a new one coming out. However, I was inclined to entertain the idea of the Infernal Affairs trilogy. Which ones should we do? I will say Infernal Affairs would probably class the joint up, assuming Ah. we want to class the joint up. Do we want to class the joint up, though? And I guess the other question is, there are a lot of Mission Impossible films. Are we just going to yeah. like the first half or the current run? Or? Yeah, maybe you would. Seven? There's one. Well, the one coming out is like a part one, right? So oh, maybe if we did Mission Impossible, maybe the first four. Yeah. Okay. I think there are sh- 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 seven. The new one will be the seventh one. Holy shit. Yep. Mm. I think maybe Mission Impossible could be good because it's like different directors and yeah and stuff. Um, man, that is a. I was just reading something on Twitter about it, but it's a real shame that um you didn't get the uh, the actor from the show that played Jim Phelps to reprise his role for the film. Oh yeah, that would have been that, that would have made the twist more. Um, you know, I mean, but the actor was so offended by the twist. Oh wow, really? Yeah, <laughs> but we'll we'll get into that. But yeah, but these are all playing on Paramount Plus, or you oh, can um, rent them online, or what have you. So yeah, this sounds good. We'll do Mission cool. Impossible, and Michael see if York we get spoken. we can get a download boost from stuff that's. And Michael Payne endorses Michael York's proposition. Yes, a tale and of two Michaels smashing with the original old couple. It stars uh, yeah, Mission Impossible 2 stars Anthony Hopkins, who's also in Transformers The Last Night, oh, in which they have, shit. yes, in which they have a uh, a stunt double as Anthony Hopkins punch someone in the face. <laughs> so, 
I almost thought I was hallucinating when I saw that. I'm like, what? You can't be serious. The first well, thing in his hear, age, you got you got to pay him like a million per punch if you want him to physically do it. Well, I like they, just watch this TikTok, you know. I like they they brought a big deal of him coming back for an episode of Westworld season two, and all he's doing is like staring at wine glasses mm. and maybe <laughs> mumbling like one or two things. I'm like, man, that that's the life. Yeah, oh, yeah. He tur- then he just turns to the camera and says, "The checks come either way." <laughs> right. So, very good. We'll be doing Mission Impossible, the first uh, few movies over the next few weeks. Um, you can hear my puppy is wanting breakfast. I thought that was my stomach. Yeah, it might be your stomach, too. They might be in the same... The puppy's really hungry. Whoa. He could have eaten your stomach. He, he, Mind blown. Yes. What he likes to do is, if we have him in bed for a little bit before we put him in the um, crate... He's not in the crate. He's in the bathroom, but with some pads and uh, stuff. But anyhow, he will go... And start going for my wife's face. Oh, yeah. Because you're on the same level as him, and he thinks it's time to play. Oh. It's like, nope, we're trying to go to bed. <laughs> Why don't you relax? So, yeah, but no, he's really quite wiggling. Okay, so for... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm Matt Bradley. Sure, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. And you can follow me on Instagram at WT2Art. I'm Michael York. You can follow me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914. And don't forget that our theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. You can check out their music at markwithac.com. Yep. So for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. I'm Michael York. Same. I always knew you'd make an asp out of yourself, bat boob. I have to say, when I'm Two-Face, I can hardly control my emotions, but since I have plastic surgery, I'm not Two-Face, even though I'm still Two-Faces, I'm just underneath One-Face. So why don't you call me Three-Face? I'm James Mason.